Well, good morning, Mission Viejo Christian Church. Oh, look at you, loud and proud the day after Christmas. Outstanding. Well done. Good for you. Yes, Pastor Mike, Thankful. I am thankful for the opportunity to be up front and to speak and to teach a little from God's word. I was thinking about last, I don't know, June, July, you started hearing these uh, reports coming in. It's like, oh, supply chain's messed up. And I was like, oh, what's the supply chain? And so we eventually figured out that it's all the stuff. And, and so everyone on the news is like, oh, it's June, it's July. You better start shopping for Christmas now. And so what, what used to be an absolutely chaotic ramp up to Christmas for a month that you died of exhaustion of afterwards, now became like a four-month odyssey of preparing and gearing up and getting all the momentum going and cranking it up. And it's great. Like, there's nothing more worth a ramp up than Christ's birth. I get that. But there's all that sense of go and charge and purchase, and none of those things are really about Christmas. But there's the decorating, and there's the celebrating, and there's the family, and there's the gifts, and there's the wrapping, and the opening, and the trash, and the boxes, and food. Let's not forget the food ever, the feasts, and all of that. And it comes to this glorious conclusion on Christmas. And then you wake up the next morning. It's like, well, now what? (laughs) I've been all about this for a while. Now what? I wonder if there was any of that in Bethlehem for Mary and Joseph. I mean, they had quite a ramp up too, if you think about it. And the travel and getting there and uh, childbirth itself is quite a ramp up sort of a process, I'm told. And then there's, you know, there's uh, shepherds coming and going and angels and wise men and chaos and animals. And then at some point they had to kind of look around after all that was done and go, I guess it's just us now. Now what? Now what? This morning, we're going to talk about what happens next. Now what? Since the beginning of December, we've been in this series in the book of Luke, right? That was not simply designed to get us to Christmas right around the time of the nativity story, although that was genius. But that said, we're going to continue going through Luke and seeing what, uh, Luke, what it is that Luke has to show us in the life and in the ministry of Jesus that applies day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, as we follow the book of Luke all the way through. And this next section, the what's next after the nativity story, is three quick episodes that, that Luke shows us. And they're pretty quick, and they move right along, but there are the things that happened right on the heels of Jesus' birth. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at these episodes, and we're going to ask three critically important questions. What happened? What can I learn? What should I do? By the way, if you can capture those three questions, what happened, what can I learn, and what should I do? That's as good as any four-year Bible degree you will ever get in any college anywhere. The simple practice of being in God's word and saying, God, show me what happened, teach me a lesson, and direct me to live that out in the way I live my life, that's gold right there. So if you're a note taker, get out the big pen and do it loud and proud across whatever you've got in front of you, because that's good stuff. Now, heading into Luke chapter 2, we're gonna, there's an extended series of verses, 21 through 40. We're going to start in this, in this first one. Uh, which runs 21 to 24. And this is about Mary and Joseph bringing uh, Jesus to Jerusalem for the very, very first time. And this is how that passage goes according to St. Luke. He says, On the eighth day, when it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. That was the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, 
Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there's a lot going on there and a lot of it's not very familiar to us. And Luke just kind of skims right past it because he's probably a little, for, a little more familiar with some of the rites of passage and the observations uh, of ritual that were taking place. But we may want to look at those in order to understand them. There's actually, it looks like it's just one visit going on, but Luke is bringing together three different rites of passage, three different ceremonies, three different events when he's talking about them here. And uh, they seem to run all together, so let's be clear. The first one is uh, eight days after he's born, Jesus is brought according to the custom, according to what was written down in in the Old Testament law, the Torah, that on the eighth day after being born, Jesus was brought to the temple, and that was where he was circumcised. Circumcision being that physical sign, that physical indication that he belonged to this particular community of faith. That's one of the things that Luke's talking about here. There's a second thing that happens, and this happens sometime later. There was also a provision in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that when uh, a mother gave birth, that for a period of time she was to make herself absent from the company, the fellowship of the community of faith, and to be isolated from them. This gave her time to recover physically, it gave her time to recover emotionally, it gave her time to bond with her kids, and there was a season where she was away and outside of the community of faith, but then there was a number of days after which she was supposed to come back. And when she came back, there was a particular sacrifice to, uh, that was to be made, a burnt offering, that was part of that point where she came back. This was, uh, it, was, it was called an offering for pure but it was basically identifying, I am doing what it takes to, to come back and be a part and to participate with the community of faith. And then there's this third one that seems really odd, but it's in play every bit as much, and it happens at the same time uh, as, as the burnt offering, and it is the consecration of the firstborn. There was a law in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that when parents, had a, when they had their firstborn son, that they would bring him to the temple that they would present him to the Lord. God had said, every firstborn male belongs to me. And there was this ceremony they went through where they redeemed that consecrated firstborn male that belongs to God and redeemed him and purchased him back. They did it, they would, the ceremony includes they would pay five silver coins as an expression of the redemption of their consecrated firstborn who, be, who belonged to God. Now there's a lot going there, and the, the one question which raises itself, as far as I'm concerned on all of those, is why? God, God does give rules. God does give instructions. There are things he told his people to do. There are things he continues to tell his people to do. But it's never just some kind of vain exercise in following the rules and doing as you're told. There's always purpose behind those rules. And when God commands, he commands for a purpose that's in keeping with his plans. God's highest aspiration for us is is human flourishing. And so he gives instructions for how that can happen and asks us to live according to them. Let's maybe see if we can't identify a little of what's going on. Where circumcision was concerned, that was the moment where a family said, we want our child to bear, even in his physical body, uh, the marker of the fact that he belongs with us as we follow God together. That moment of saying, what the sign of what it means to be a part of God's people, Israel, is to do what God has asked, circumcise this uh, young baby boy, and then that mark is with him for his whole life. There's never a time he can get away from the moment that it was declared, this boy belongs to God's people, Israel. 
we kind of have a New Testament equivalent of that in baptism, right? Baptism is that moment where we say, it's not like a physical mark on our body or anything, but it's that point where we go, hey, in front of God and in front of everyone, I want to place this mark in my own personal history that says, whatever happens moving forward, I want something that I cannot walk away from, which marks my sense that I belong to God and his people as we follow Jesus together. And the way that we do that now is in baptism. In fact, I'm really excited because when the service is done this morning, we've got a family who's being baptized in the baptismal uh, fountain just outside in the patio. If you can spare a few minutes when you're done, it would be great to celebrate that moment together where this family comes together and said, we've started following Jesus. We want something we can never walk away from. That's an inherent part of ourselves. Baptism is, is, baptism is that moment, that flag in the sand that says, here I am, God, I belong to you. I don't care who knows, and I'm moving forward with you, and we want to celebrate with them as well. That kind of moment is what was signified in the circumcision of the baby boys in of Israel at the time. With regard to the, uh, the purification of the mom, there's this sense, right? These times when for lots of reasons, we, we find ourselves maybe away and outside of either the center of God's population of people or maybe just a little outside the center of God's will for our lives. And it can happen for a lot of reasons. Sometimes holidays get super busy, Right? And they get just crazy, and it's just like, I just need, I, I need some time off, and I intend to get back. Sometimes other things happen, like pandemics, <laughs> and they change the way we're connecting with God and with his people and with his mission, right? And so there are times where we just, like, we do things in, in view of the realities in front of us, so like, we step aside of, of what things have been. And, like, a lot of times what we do is great. We have people joining with us this morning online as part of our congregation here. They haven't stepped away from God. They've stepped into a kind of a new mode of meeting and connecting and hearing and participating, but we're glad you're here and know that you're absolutely a part of us. At different times, we do what we need to do, but we all have been in that place at one point or another, I think, where we felt like for whatever reason, whether it was good reasons or poor, we're a little further away from what God's doing that we want to be. And, and we want to be back. And one of the things that God understood is one of the things that helps us come back for good. One of the things that helps us, helps us to re-enter into the flow of what God's doing in a group of people for good is that we make an offering of some kind of sacrifice. Where there's, there's a moment that makes it a clear declaration, I am back and I'm in it for the long haul. And so when, when a mom had been away from the fellowship for 30 or 60 days, depending on when it was, whether it was a boy or a girl, she would come back and, they, and there was an, a burnt offering to be made. They would take a ram or a bull or a steer or a cow or a goat and give it as a sacrifice and burn it on the altar. And that was a significant investment to just give away some livestock that way. But it was an important moment to say, I'm back and I mean it. What's happening in this fellowship is valuable for me. There's a little nugget here, though, and I want to make sure that we don't miss it. That sacrifice of an animal of livestock, that was costly. That was expensive. And, and not everybody could afford that. And so God, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, he said... Too bad, suck it up and pay the price. That's what it costs to be in my good graces. No, that's nothing like what God said. God says, I want something significant to happen. I, I want this to be a meaningful re-entry into, into the relationship of the community, and so it's got to be significant. But if you don't have kind of the standard, if you don't have the resources to accomplish that, you know what, you know what I'll take? Two doves or two pigeons. 
And you just like walk down the street, grab a couple birds, and you were good. Because when it came to the offering that they brought to God at the altar to signify their intentions, to signify their heart and their intensity and the depth of their commitment, it was never the size of the gift. It was never the scope of the offering. It wasn't that God was wowed and overwhelmed by how much and how big. God saw straight through to the heart. And I love the fact that God looks down on us and says, you know what, for some people, uh, the, the required sacrifice of, of the larger amount is not a problem, and that's okay. But there are those who, although they want to be right with God, maybe feel like they don't have what it takes. Maybe you feel today like what it takes to get right with God, you don't have that. God says, that's okay. Because in terms of what I want, I don't, it, it can be a pigeon. It can be a dove. That's not the point. The point is the heart. You might feel, I think you would be wrong, but you might feel like you don't have what it takes to be right with God because you're not good enough, because your life's not organized enough, because you're not self-disciplined enough, because you don't know the words to all the songs or whatever else it may be. You know what? God has provided everything it needs to be right with him. We, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Everything that it takes to be right with God is found in him. So when it comes to our gifts to the Lord, never be, uh, I guess I would want to say, don't ever be intimidated to feel like what you bring to the Lord in the terms of um, your mind and your thought, whether it's uh, whether, what you bring to the Lord with your heart, whether you, what you bring by the gift of your time and participation and service, what you bring to the Lord in financial offerings and gifts. Never feel like you have to wow or impress God with the grand scope of that. Because God would be very pleased with a couple of dumb birds if they represent the heart of someone who wants to please him. I love that God makes provision for us. Whether we are in a time of plenty or whether we are in a time of need, our access to God is unhindered. He makes a way in every way that we need that. And then there's this issue of the firstborn son being bought back. God had said every firstborn. With the livestock, if the, if the, when your livestock has a firstborn male, you sacrifice it to the Lord as a gift. And God said, um, and kind of um, echoing the language of the plagues in Egypt, your firstborn son of every family in Israel belongs to me. And then because of that, you need to come and redeem them in this ceremony. Now that's, that's, a, that's a tough one, that my kids belong first to God. I mean, think about, you come together and you're married and you come into a marriage and you've been for years, dreaming the dreams and the hopes that would be fulfilled in being a family and a parent. And, and then once, once kids are on the way, there's all this promise of the, of the future and the potential and everything. And these represents just kind of like the highest ambitions of everything that we have. And God says, yeah, they do. But before any of those things, be it your children, be it your dreams, your ambitions, your hopes, before any of those things belong to you, they belong to me. And God knew that his people needed a reminder that in those very few, few first months of being parents, they needed a reminder that this precious baby who was everything to them really belonged to God. And so they said, come, bring your five silver coins and, and acknowledge that this child belongs to God first and foremost and that that child has been placed in the family by God for us to raise and to care for. You know what's really important here? It's not the five silver coins. This was not God's get rich 
quick scheme. This was not his side hustle to fund the temple or anything else like that, right? God didn't need the money. God knew his people needed the moment. Those silver coins, right, were made out of silver that existed because God said, let them exist. If, if he was short of silver, he could just let some more exist and say, let there be more, and there would be. And he could do it without creating inflation, which would be awesome. But this is not about the money. This is about the moment where a family comes together at an incredibly important moment and says, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, the fulfillment of all of our promises, they're not in our hands. They belong to God. And we acknowledge that in this moment. And that's what's taking place in the middle of what might otherwise be just kind of a random ritual or a random ceremony. So with the question, what happened in this passage? What happened in this episode? What happened was they did what the Torah instructed them to do. Mary and Joseph did the things that scripture written down on the page instructed them to do. And that's important. Why? Because if anybody in human history had the right to say, oh, no, no, we're good, we don't need to do that, it would have been Mary and Joseph as they brought the Messiah. Right? If anyone ever got a hall pass on any of the traditions and the obligations and the rites and the ceremonies, it would have been Jesus who said, actually, like, I created all this stuff. I'm, I'm going to pull the Messiah card out and say, I don't have to do this, right? But no, Mary and Joseph had been raised in obedience to God and, and obedience to the law that had been given and what had been written down for them to follow. So that one actually plays right along to what can I learn? What can I learn is there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to integrity. There are no shortcuts to purity. There are no shortcuts in living the life that God calls us to live. If, if Mary and Joseph and Jesus didn't get a pass on, on those rules, then we don't get to give ourselves a pass on any of the rules that might be a little inconvenient for us as well. There are no shortcuts. So with that in view, what should I do? What should I do? I should obey God's written instructions. In the same way that Mary and Joseph and Jesus gave us this example in the very first days of Jesus' life of following the written instruction of the Old Testament law, we now have, uh, in addition to the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, the new covenant formed by Jesus, and his words and his teachings and his instructions are right there on the written page. What do we do in response to a passage like this? If we want to honor it, we obey what's written down. I want to suggest that many of us right now immediately already know that there are things that we have either heard or read recently in the written pages of scripture that when we read them, we said, oops, I'm not doing that. Or conversely, we go, uh-oh, I've been doing that. We find these things where Jesus says, hey, look, this is what, this is, these are my instructions so that you can live a life of human flourishing. These are the instructions by which you will please God and live out a life of response to him well in a way that pleases him. And we read them and we go, ooh, I'm not doing that. I, I think our challenge today and for us is to look at this passage and say, if we're going to follow Jesus and his example and to follow him with our life, part of that involves obeying what's been written down. And so maybe, maybe you've been seeing, seeing the same passage for weeks and going, yeah, I probably need to get on to that. Yeah, I probably better do something about that. New Year's is kind of coming. Maybe when New Year's comes, I'll start obeying. Ah, New Year's is pretty soon. Maybe I'll start at Easter. 
I don't know what's happening with COVID. Let's just wait until it all... No. If you're finding things in scripture that are not aligning with the life that you're living, I just want to call you to a point of obedience. Not to me, not to a passage per se, but obedience to God who loves you and designed you to flourish and knows what it's going to take and wants for you what only he can provide and what sometimes we can only access through our obedience, okay? So if that's you, grab that. You know what your homework is this week. It's not about slavish rule falling. It's just about a loving devotion to God's will. I'm so grateful that the Jesus who came died on the cross for my sins, allowed me to be in right relationship with God. I want to live a whole life of gratitude to him. And part of that is by doing as he asks me to do. As he puts those things on your heart, as you run across them on the page, do those things. Okay, Luke moves us right along from that quick moment to, a, to another quick episode. This was a guy named Simeon. This is Simeon's only appearance in the Bible. It's just a few verses. He doesn't carry like, oh, he, he didn't get a lot of publicity. Uh, and yet what he did captured Luke's attention so that it was included. Here's how this goes. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and he was devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, those things we just discussed, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon saw this child, how he knows we aren't told. What he saw that, that clicked for him, the scripture doesn't indicate, and so we should probably not speculate. But in that moment, he said, God has promised me I was going to live in, until the Messiah was born, and then here he is. I, I can die in peace, because God has fulfilled his promise to Israel and to the world in the person of Jesus, but God has, had fulfilled his personal promise to Simeon as well. So what happened? I want to just ask what happened. And, and the answer is this. What happened was Simeon acted on what God has shown him. It's said that Simeon was devout and righteous. That means that with regard to his conduct, with the way that he interacted with people, the way that he uh, conducted his life, he was living out all those written rules of the Old Testament law, of the Torah. He was doing a great job. He was living well in terms of practice. But beyond that, we see something more. We see that he was waiting on God's promises. That means he was day in, day out. God has promised Messiah. And so I am going through my life saying, where is he? I think he's right around the corner. I think he's going to be here. He was waiting on God's promises. And he had had a revelation through the Holy Spirit that he would actually see the, the Messiah himself before he passed away. And he was an older guy, but he had this promise and he believed it. And so he kept living. And here's the thing. Everyone had the written words of the law that they were supposed to obey. But through God's Holy Spirit, Simeon was given the sense of a very personal promise for him. That didn't necessarily apply to everyone. It was, God, it was what God had spoken to his heart. And again, how that took place, the scripture doesn't say specifically, other than it was through the Holy Spirit. 
We don't know whether he was asleep one night and God showed him in a grand vision. We don't know if it was angelic visitation. We don't know if it might have just been like a quiet prompting in his heart that God was putting that there. We don't know, but we know that Simeon recognized it and we know that he held on to it and we know that he lived in view of it. And I want to suggest to you that if you're following Christ, you're not following a God who just wants you to follow rules written on the page. You're following a God who wants to speak into your heart to give you a a promise and a purpose that is unique to you, that takes place somewhere internally and touches on maybe the tender places of your soul and says, I'm going to do this thing for you or I'm going to lead you in this direction or whatever it may be. It's different for each one of us, but when God's spirit prompts us that way, that is something that we can lean into and hold onto and as Simeon acting upon what God told him to do, redirecting and rearranging his life around that particular promise. And so that's how he lived. He lived day in and day out. Yes, obeying the rules, but attentive to what God's saying to me and how is he leading me. And it says that on that very day, he was prompted to go into the temple courts and that's where he saw the Messiah. Can I just ask hypothetically, what if he hadn't been listening to the voice and the prompting of the Holy Spirit? He'd have missed it. He may not have been there. But he lived his life with a sense of God waiting to speak to me and a sense of wanting to hear that prompting and then to act on it. Typically, very frequently, Simeon is, is, uh, he's presented like as one of the priests there. Like he would have been in the temple anyway, ready to take care of all the, the priestly duties. But the text doesn't give us any of that. It just says he was a dude following God and God told him to go into the temple courts that day. And when he acted on the prompting God put on his heart, he got there and he saw the fulfillment of God's promises because he had done that. If you would have asked Simeon, how is your relationship with God? He probably would not have led with, I'm being very obedient. I'm following all the rules. I haven't messed up that much lately. From this passage, I suspect that if you asked Simeon, how's your relationship with God going? It would have been a lot more about what's God putting on your heart? What is he speaking to you? Here's how I'm responding and here's what I'm doing because of what God is speaking to me and how he's leading me and how he's guiding me. That would have been the expression of his relationship with God, which is probably a bit why God gave him that very special promise in the first place. How is God guiding me? How am I hearing that? And how am I responding to that? So what do we learn from here? What's the learning point for us as we observe Simeon? It's this. Pay attention. Pay attention to the God who doesn't just demand that you obey, but pay attention to the God who's speaking you and wants to lead you and guide you and place promises in your heart and prompt you and guide you to the places where you'll experience the fulfillment of those promises. Pay attention, ears open, eyes up. We serve a God who speaks and we need to pay attention. And in terms of what should I do? Act when God prompts you. I'll let you into my world a little bit. There are these times when I get these promptings. They're not like these weird, supernatural, you know, organs play in the background and I have a super spiritual experience. That doesn't happen much for me, which is awesome because I'm not a huge fan of organs, so that's good. But there are times when I feel like God is just prompting me to either go talk to someone or put a phone call into someone or check on someone or care for someone or whatever it may be. And I'll tell you, the first thought that always pops into my mind 
Is that really God? Like, how do I know? How do I know? I, I can't be sure. You know what? You can't be sure. That's why they call it faith. And scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? If, if we demand certainty, then we'll never exercise faith, we'll never move forward, and God will not be pleased. But I want to encourage you out of this text in the story of Simeon, when God puts that prompting on your heart to care for that person, to love that person, step into that. Lean into that. And you know what? If that wasn't really God, but you did something kind and godly towards someone else, it's going to be okay. If you're going to make a mistake, that's a great one to make. Right? For absolute sure on that particular count. I guess also I, I probably need to touch on this to be fair to the text. Sometimes God prompts us to do things which really don't take that much out of us. Speak a kind word to that person. Hold the door open for that person whose arms are all like little things. But sometimes God asks us to do hard things. To step into things and maybe even ask us to share some, a word that's difficult to deliver to somebody else. And we got to do that too. We have to do that too. So read, let's read together the rest of what God prompted Simeon to tell Mary. Because up to now it's been awesome. But God also prompted Simeon to say this. As the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary... The mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. People aren't going to like your son very much. That's what he got to tell her. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now if I said, sensed that that was the message God was asking me to give to someone, hey, new mother, a sword will pierce your soul I would really be asking God, is that you? Like, is that really your message? But, but Simeon had spent the time learning what God's voice sounded like and being in and around God's voice and living devoutly and uprightly. And so when he had some difficult words to share, he shared them. And that's a great example for us as well. There's this third episode as we kind of move ahead, and that has to do with Anna. Also, only place that she appears in Scripture. Um, it's pretty quick. Luke uh, 2, starting at verse 36. There was also, Luke records, a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. And she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, that is, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Simeon, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of of Jerusalem. And then when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, Galilee to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. What happened here in this passage? This one's pretty simple, it's pretty pretty straight ahead. What happened? Anna thanked God and Anna told others. She did two things. She encountered this moment. She just Walking through the temple courts, sees, sees an old guy with a baby and a young couple. She listens in, and then she does two things. She thanks God, and she tells other people about it. So, what's the quick learning lesson on that one? Speak up. Speak up. And I mean that two ways. When things are going on around you, speak up. 
whatever is going on around you. Thank God for that. Sometimes it'll be easy because what's right in front of you is awesome. And you say, God, thank you for that. Other time, the thing going on right in front of you is going to be terrible. And you're going to have to speak up and say, God, this seems terrible, but I know you've got something here. So thank you for what you're going to bring out of this. God, sustain me through the difficult part of this. But Lord, I trust you. That's speaking up about the circumstances that are taking place. But then there's also the speaking up that's telling people about what God's doing. There's this corresponding thing that she does. She speaks up to God, and then she, like, I can't just stop there. I got to tell everybody what God is doing. And really, when you think about it, she hadn't seen much. She'd she'd seen a quick conversation, but it was enough. She recognized something and said, I want to tell people about this. She may or may not have understood the depth of all that was taking place. But she understood that God was doing something and she wanted to be about telling other people about that. That's her example. That's why she's in this passage. What do we learn? We learn to speak up. But before we can do that, what should we do? What should I do? Before we're able to just speak up, we got to do the prep work. How was it, do you think, that she knew what was taking place was special? We know very, very little about her, except that she'd been married for a few years, and then had been a widow a long time. And then during the course of that, she spent her time in the temple all the time in God's presence. Day and night in worship, praying, fasting. She put herself in all of the places where people connect to God in those moments. She did the things that are necessary to do to cultivate a heart relationship with God where hearing from him and understanding what he's doing is second nature. You may feel like, I want to be able to discern what God is doing whenever I see it and just know. But that's not a superpower. That's the result of a life that's been spent saying, God, I want to learn the kinds of things you say, and so I'm going to read what you say in your word. God, I want, I want to learn the way that you speak to people. And so I'm going to spend time with you in worship and in prayer. I, I want to be the kind of person who can discern your will at work more than just what my own self is telling me. And so I'm going to commit myself to fasting. I'm going to tell my basic appetites no so that I can say a more ready yes to you. And in the midst of doing all of that prep work over the course of a life, she was ready in a moment to have a sense of what God was doing and to live in to that moment. Man, we want the moments, but we got to do the prep work, which is about just being with the Lord and letting him teach us. Again, we don't do prep work so that we get a good pat on the back from God and we somehow lived up to his approval and now we're on the, on the nice list. We, we do the prep work because we've already said, God, you've saved me and I've received that free gift and now I want to live my whole life as a thank you to that. I want to live a life of following you and so I want to find out how to do that better and we go to those places where that takes place. So let me just put this all together. Your homework for this week, when it all sums up, this is what this week ought to be for you. It ought to be about obedience. I guarantee you this week, now that you're here, and God's been speaking to you, there's going to come this moment where you're going to be right at a pivotal decision point. There's a choice you're going to either make. It's going to be a yes or a no. And maybe you know you're, going to, you're supposed to, but you don't want to. Or maybe you know that you shouldn't, but you really want to. But either way, there's going to be a decision point to be made. And I just want to encourage you from this passage, obey what God has written down in his word. Do what God has called you to do in terms of the way that you live your life. Again, not so that you, don't, not so that you get, uh, avoid the naughty list, 
but just because you're living a life to please God, and that's what that looks like. Second, um, pay attention. This week, I believe God will speak to your heart in a way that maybe he hasn't before. He'll prompt you. He'll nudge you towards someone. He'll steer you towards reaching out to someone who may have a need. He may drop a promise and a certainty and a, and a hopefulness into your heart that hasn't been there before. I want your eyes open and your ears ready and your spirit ready to hear that and to act on it as well because that's the third thing. That is, speak up with whatever's going on around you. Man, it's the holidays and there are families and that creates a lot going on all around all of us, right? What a great place to speak up and say, God, thank you. And then to speak up to the world and say, God's at work here. Whether it's family, work, whatever you have going on, this is a week of speaking up and then speaking up and letting the world know. That's your homework. When the moments come, celebrate them, dive in, live into them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. We are grateful that he came and grateful that we get to celebrate and do that together. God, this week, we do pray, would you make your will clear to us? Would you show us what it is that you're up to? Would you make it clear how you want us to participate in that? And then, God, would you give us both the wisdom to know what to do about it and the courage to step into that without hesitation? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to... Uh, spend a few minutes and finish our time today receiving communion together. There's some elements for communion uh, in the seat right in front of you. You can take those out. The band is going to play for a few moments. There will be some scriptures up on the screen reminding us of this central truth that we remember when we do communion, that the reason baby Jesus came to Bethlehem was so that adult Jesus could go to the cross at Calvary and there allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could be made right with God. So this bread represents his broken body and the juice represents his blood. And as we receive these elements, we reaffirm again that our hope is in him and that that is the truth that we share together. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.